All right, quiet on the set. Mike and Armand Joe, Queez, we the ones that you can depend on to bring the voices from the inside out. Lock down, but they not locked out. No filter over here. Check what we be talking about. Feet up in the trenches, Bob. While you're on defenses, metal detector before you enter. Shaky medical and see your stitches. They be pushing their weight around. Educate, didn't have the time to wait around. Taking classes while they played around. That's what we call staying down. What we call staying down. That's what we call staying down. Mike, Armand, dang it. Our host, our host is quiet over there. Gang, 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 gang. Misfit Adi, 10 can phone. What's happening? I'm in this mug with my brothers. Armand, pretty boy Poos. What's happening? <laughs> oh, you see how I did. I'm coming live and direct from an undisclosed rehabilitation center downtown Portland. I have clothes on, shaved my face. Feel a little more uh, 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 gorgeous. Right. Uh, artist Michael Bernard Stevenson Jr. How are you doing today? That's me. I feel What's okay. Up, yeah, I feel okay. I feel like yesterday, I feel like I work over the weekend. So Thursday ends up being my Friday or something. My something I just like crash. Uh, so yeah, had a little bit of a slow morning, but we're on it. We're here. We're back. It's funny. So I didn't, you got a razor? What happened? How they let you, what's going on over there? Okay, well, so real quick, they lost all of the clothes I came in with. Yeah, you're mentioning that. <laughs> yeah, which is like I already filed a grievance. I already got real admin on them because I heard it. Special. Yeah, so I, I lost all that. Bless my grandmother, 82 years old, dropped me off some of my clothes that her that were at her house with my razor. After they sanitized that, a couple of days to sanitize it. Now I'm uh, dipped and dripped. I love it, just dripping. Well, man, what are we talking about today? Well, Queez, I mean, I missed the first part of you talking about what's going on in your life. So if you want to just kind of bring it to what's going on in your life. I had court yesterday, but it was really nothing. It was just put off another month. You destroyed the suspense. Oh, God, no. What happened? We don't even know. We're sitting on the edge of our individual <laughs> places where we're listening over here. I'll tell you exactly what happened. Again, 2021, January uh Mike, this is your job. What is it, January? It is January. It's 2021. Oh, I guess it is the 21st also. The 21st. So, Wait yeah, no. Honest, Doesn't matter. All I did, court is going on via Zoom. If you're not incarcerated or locked up on your charges or on bond, do it on Zoom. So, I just threw a button-up shirt on with my scrub pants on. Love it. And I sat, <laughs> I sat from a judge, and he just said, okay, we're uh, pushing this out another month till March or two months or something. Who knows? Who's counting? Yeah. I mean, it's interesting, and we'll put a pin in that because I do want to hear about Queez's situation. Um, but it is interesting where we'll end up is like, yeah, they're putting off these court situations for certain reasons, not out of the benevolence of their hearts. But that being said, yeah, Queez was popping. Uh, you know, the work don't stop, man. Personally, you know, I'm just dealing with this COVID shit and, you know, consistently being present for my brothers that's coming home. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's my duty. It's my duty. You know, when my brother Ben died, I told him I'm going to take his vision and uh, I'm going to live it out. I'm going I'm to make sure that things that he taught us, the things that, you know, he lived how he wanted the world to be, 
And um, it's my duty to continue that. So I'm here for my brothers that's coming home. I'm here for my brothers that's struggling. Currently, you know, I got a couple guys coming home that's dealing with family issues, baby mama issues, and um, dealing with the courts. And as I was telling the artists, you know, before we came on, like a lot of dudes, including myself, anytime it has to do with presenting evidence against somebody else, it feels like snitching. It feels like, you know, I'm doing something wrong. I'm going against a code or, you know, so like a lot of my guys is jeopardizing time with their kids or sacrificing being able to give their kids just that, their time due to having to present evidence towards the baby mom or present evidence on why they're good dads. And um, it's just, it's a horrible thing, man. Like it's a horrible thing to hear these dudes stories and try to um, guide them into this, you know, this new battle. Cause we all figure coming home is the end. Like I'm coming home mm. from prison. Like it's just great where everything is great now. Right. But nah, like different levels causes different demons and different obstacles. So when you move up to a different level, then you face different obstacles, you know? So that's where I'm currently at. Like, as of right now, I've been up since like six, seven this morning, just dealing with my dudes, trying to help my guy um, understand the importance of forget the G code, forget the don't say nothing. Like this is your daughter. This is your daughter that you fighting for. You feel me? Like it's not, you're not getting nobody no time. You're not putting somebody behind bars. But to stand in court with a suit on and point the finger at somebody and like not necessarily point the finger, but use evidence to show why you're a good dad and they're, you feel me, not a good mom type shit. It feels like snitching, you know what I'm saying? It feels like you're going to get a code that we have been brainwashed to believe still exists. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's some really interesting stuff, including when you said the work don't stop. And now you're just like, your shift started at 6.37 in the morning, but you're like unemployed, right? Facts. Facts. But as you said, in in kind of picking up Ben's dream. And I was thinking about this the other day when I, I drove home and I parked my car. I was like late, exhausted, needed to make dinner still. And I was just thinking about Ben, which, you know, is great that Ben has been able to touch everyone so deeply that even gone is present in many ways and will continue to be. But, you know, I feel, I think when I came up, like, I wanted, before I even knew about nationalism and like whatever, I was just like seeking this like greater social group that I can like work for and protect. And war has been a paradigm in the world always since our knowing, but it never felt like the place, like I didn't feel like fighting for my country was somehow good for any reason. But I realized like, I have been realizing over time, but was thinking about last night that it's a like a in like a struggle internal to our nation that really requires this form of vigilance that is a front line you know it is a war so to speak and so yeah when you said the work don't stop it's just like for people to recognize that like this work is the people who tend to only care about it and that's why I was thinking about it because I kind of just showed up on the scene and I'm like well I don't know what I feel like I'm on the front line there's no way to like back away slowly until I guess I max out but it's also guys who have suffered incarceration that understand it in a way that then try to work to dismantle it. But they're also dealing with like their own struggles and then just the struggles to like be in society. But the other thing that I wanted to name, and you were talking about this a little bit before we started, is that in the last episode, you all heard about these kind of like intense and long struggles that lasted months 
that were like interwoven with like individual personal traumas and needing space and like all this kind of stuff. And so when Queez is talking about like talking to his guys, they're fresh on the street, they're having culture shock, maybe they haven't had a touchtone phone, you know, yeah. like all kinds of stuff. And, and, you know, like that is also being navigated by them and the people who are kind of like working with. But you had said before that, like, yeah, just some particulars about kind of the struggles. Is there anything else that's like feels fair to share? I mean, they range wide. Sometimes people look at the guys inside and think that like they have everything together. They have everything figured out. We're big men because that's how we present ourselves. Like we have to be big men. We have to make decisions. We have to, you know, we run households. And um, ultimately that's not true. Like I was telling my partner, it's hard still for me. And I've been home a year and it's hard for me grocery shopping. Like I can't decide, like, I don't know. Like I'm so used to just writing it on a paper and you know, next week they, it's, it's, it's coming to the bunk pretty much. So like decision-making a lot of, and, and then ultimately one of the biggest problems that I'm having with, with my guys, and I don't like to say my guys, but these is really my dudes, but like social media, social media is playing a big part in people's lives and what they feel is the right thing to do or the right way to be. They see these posts and, you know, for somebody who's done five, 10, 15 years, even three years, you know, you lose sense of re- streets, you lose sense of reality. And in order to survive in prison, you create a facade. You jump inside of a bubble that you create for yourself and you present that day in and day out as a, this is who you are. So then when you come home, if you can't forget to step outside of that bubble and step back into reality, now you're living as a character. You're merely living as a character that you created to get through prison, whether good or bad. And a lot of these guys is coming home and they're like, still these characters. And then you have me like, nah, bro, like you don't gotta be like this. Or, you know, like, I know what you're seeing on social media, but remember Facebook is just like prison. You just make up whoever you wanna be and that's who you are. You know what I mean? So like really just helping guys understand like you don't gotta be so hard. You feel me? Like you don't gotta mug everybody. Um, Everybody you see like isn't against you you know, the raise of a voice, you got to be careful with how you talk to dudes because you raise your voice too much. They feel challenged, threatened, all sense of understanding goes out the window. Like, hey, who the f- who you talking to, bruh? Like, it's, ne- it's no more what you're talking about. It, what you're talking about don't even, it doesn't even matter no more. As soon as you raise your voice, hey, homie, I'm not that guy. Mm-hmm. So to be humane, it, that's probably what it is. To, I'm, I'm trying to help guys become humane again and realize that you got to change your CD. You got to change the CD when you step outside the gates. You're not on the yard no more. You can't still have that CD playing. You on the yard, like you got to change the CD and become a citizen. You know, when your boss yell at you, hey, get to work. Like, what what are you doing standing around? Get to work. For us? <laughs> uh-uh. Hey, come here. And, and now we finna fight. Now you, who you raising your voice at you? You feel me? The bleep bleeps and bleeps. But that man didn't disrespect you in a sense of calling you a bleep bleep or bleep. He's a boss and he needs his employees to get the work. So just like with football, the coach is going to yell at you. But when these guys is coming home from prison, you got to really alter and understand the mindset of the person you're dealing with. So I'm trying to get my guys to understand the mental capacity that they possess coming home which is hard because a grown man don't want to hear that he doesn't possess the right qualities mentally to be successful in society. But ultimately 
We don't. You have to learn to be a good adult in custody. You have to learn to be a good convict. You know what I'm saying? You don't just go to prison and be like, I'm just this dude. Like you, you learn these things. Mm-hmm. So to unlearn, ultimately me helping them unlearn, you know, what has been instilled and embedded in us even before prison, growing up, your brother fight, you fight too. You better not come home crying, boy. You done got your in them streets. You don't fight back, you gonna have to fight me. These is the words of parents. These parents, are yeah. parents is telling their kids growing up, right? And then you get to prison. Hey, you go, I go. Armand, that's the homie. If you go, I go. Armand tripping, I'm tripping. Those are all the same things taught by us by our parents. If I call you my brother, what your mama say? Your brother fight, you fight. Your friends fight, you fight. But you have to also unlearn, like, that's yes, in the environments that we came up in. Yeah, your brother fight, you fight. The homies, you know, all those different things. But when you go to prison, you got to understand some of these dudes ain't your homies. Some of these dudes ain't friends. And for me, it's like, okay, Armand invited me to do an interview about my life to better and understand and get a deeper grips of me, right? Armand never asked me, oh, that dude tripping, we finna ride on him. Or that dude said this, we finna go beat him up. Like my friends, I need you to put me up on college. Ben, I was in the heart of thugging on the yard when Ben was like, man, I see something different in you. Like you're smart. You don't fit in with these dudes. Like try school. He never wanted me to go fight people or check people. It was like, Go to school, learn how to write a thesis paper, learn how to come with evidence behind whatever you say. These is life changing situations. So I'm telling my dudes when they come home, like, bro, calm down. Like, I understand your sister getting into it with her boyfriend, but she's been getting into it with her boyfriend. She was getting into it with her boyfriend when you was in prison. She was getting into her boyfriend when you beat him up last time and she still was back with him. You have to unlearn that aggressive mindset, that aggressive you know, being the answer for everybody. And these dudes is coming home and they're really running households. Like they're coming into mm-hmm. to households with women, with kids, and you don't even really know how to control yourself. Mm-hmm. And you know, everybody want to be a business owner. Everybody want to run an empire. And one thing I'm telling these dudes, is if you can't control your own emotions, how can you run an empire? Yeah. I mean, all that is fascinating. And you had used an analogy. In fact, I don't even think it's a part of the show. It was like on that intro piece that we did for the book. And you use the analogy about the snakeskin and your parents teach you in the jungle. And we talked about that inside too. And then some of what you were saying was even more kind of like drawn out. And maybe we could find that old clip and put it on and talk about it. But, you know, when you were talking before about like guys on the stand and, you know, like snitching and they learn this mm-hmm. code. It reminded me, I met this dude named Ari. We were at AmeriCorps Vistas together in Baltimore, but he was like formerly incarcerated. Like AmeriCorps, this program was trying to like look towards a certain population and uh, hook them up, not just incarcerated, but folks who are local, blah, blah, blah. And he told me something that was kind of wild, like not wild, wild, but it was way before I was working in this context. So it was kind of like a little bit of an intro. And he re- he was spoke poetically and he said, you know, there's a comes a time when you're a kid where you like put down the bike and you like pick up the pistol. And yep. so kind of what you're saying and even all of these like ingrained things and trauma as a kid, which you talked about a little bit last show it like is so deeply ingrained that it takes a lot of like time and energy to like disentangle, Mm -hmm. but it is also like further compounded by the structural oppression of incarceration. Mm -hmm. Um, And as you said, even if like a short period in three years. And so, yeah, I wanted to like, and also even like losing a sense of reality, like you kind of like hard commit in this thing that's self-destructive. And then you kind of like bring that self-destruction around with you. 
And I wanted to ping Armand because you were talking about your court date and like, yeah, do you want to like dive into that more? Like how the kind of structure is shaping your life, you know, for boon or blessing, I guess. Because I do think there is a dichotomy there that we come up on often. And so, yeah, I mean, for listeners to kind of sense that the boon and blessing is present. <laughs> how do we yeah. blessing and like edit out the boon? Yeah, yeah, no, and I'm looking at it as a blessing. There's a lot there to unpack with what Quee said and with what you said, Michael. I guess bringing it back to me, because that's what my ego f- does, is make it by myself. Um, mm-hmm. This is your star, yeah, I mean, one of the stars, twinkling. twinkling. Yeah, rehab is something I checked myself into. I have a problem. I want to be here. But also, and I was actually self-conscious, because I paid a lawyer, and I was like, is it good for me to be here or is this bad for the case? That's my first, right. where my head goes is, is it good for the legal status that I'm trying to get help or is it bad for the legal status that I'm trying to get help? And he's like, oh no, it's actually a good thing. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to stick with this then. And then back to what we were referring to last week, how when you get into an institution, whether it be a school, a rehab, a correctional facility, you get in this certain mindset especially in like a rehab, you're dealing with a lot of people with trauma, drug addiction, obviously. And there's a lot of things going on. There's a lot of people playing dominoes, playing cards, gambling on the games. You know, I can hear all that already from my quarantine. And my sponsor, I talked to him yesterday, had our last meeting with uh, over Zoom on our AA group or our fellowship that should be not named. And he sat me down for an hour on the phone and talked to me. And he's like, and it felt like someone coached me up for prison. (laughs) for rehab hey man i know how you are yeah guess what you can't be taking people in the bathroom and fighting them if they did this or that or you can't if someone disrespects you and whatever that looks like you can't just act in a certain aggressive way he even said he even said this then it's not telling but talk to your counselor you don't have to bring up names but say like hey you're having an issue with this kind of thing or this person is acting in this type of way that might make you react in a certain manner and even in my mind i'm like dude i'm not gonna ever do that but i'm like Fuck, i need to listen to what this guy suggests to me because he mm-hmm. seems to be on something yeah so it's weird that he had that conversation with me yesterday you know we were taught as a kid and through, you know through whatever street politics you live through don't be a tattletale man and and uh yeah you know, it was you were saying something. We were talking on the phone, and you used this phrase, "telling on yourself," which was kind of funny, but is interesting, right? Like you kind of even incorporate it into oneself, and then like reject this paradigm where the th- you like deny the thing that's bad that you've done or feel that's bad, and then like you know, I don't know, create some sort of pattern. Does that sound like it? Uh, you can identify. Well, for sure, because it's like, even with my pending legal case, like, I know what's up, but I'm innocent until proven guilty. And you know what I mean? So I'm and I'm out and I'm innocent. So it's like, there's layers to it of of wanting to live a life of rigorous honesty. I want to be a very honest man. But then also this whole ambiguity of the law world, the legal world that you have to live in. And so there's layers to that, man. And I would always say, too, when I was running around out there committing no goods that you know, I would do time for people that would never do the same thing for me. You know what I mean? I would put my whole Jeopardy and Freedom at because I knew in my heart if I was sat down in a room with, with some, because I was very conscious with investigation with this, you know, 
whether I have $300,000 in my bank account or negative $300. Yo, I'm not talking. I need a lawyer present before anything's happening. And even when they come out, you know, and Ben even said it in the episode that I recorded with him, he said, he talked about this kid that got a tattoo tatted on him. Mm. Yeah, so Ben talked about, while he was locked up at OSP, a 19-year-old or 18-year-old word on the street on the yard was that he had said you know some incriminating things against his co-defendant and that someone tattooed some vulgarity on him and ben even acknowledged he's like man these are these are professional investigators their job is to get information out of you and if you don't know how to act accordingly that could blemish your name while you're inside um and you could have been tricked into that by not even knowing it you thought you're down with the code and now you've gone against what you thought you were supposed to be doing on accident so it's crazy you know i mean it's interesting we talk a lot about how the system trains you or tricks you and i did want to talk a little bit about because right now being covid era all of the parole facilities are like remote or closed or whatever and it's interesting too because i have a peer collaborator that i do gallery blue with and we are currently doing an installation at dcj east which is the parole probation office in Southeast Portland. And it's fun because we're kind of like with the brass or whatever. We're like with the uppity ups and we get to kind of just say whatever we want. And so we're kind of, you know, wording them up a little bit. You know what I mean? Like they work in the industry. And then so in some ways they can even understand our shorthand, but they're never really talking with people who have the experience that me and blue have that can leverage because usually they're in a power position. So everyone they're talking to who's grappling with the situation, they have power over. And so that kind of changes both how they're perceiving the relationship or what that person can say. And so Blue mentioned, he said, for some guys, like the fact that parole offices are kind of more closed are saving their lives. You know what I mean? Like you said, court, you put on a button up shirt, boom, bang, bing, it's over. They're not putting you in jail, which I do want to talk about sentencing in a minute. But I also want to talk about like, has parole not being in person and kind of more looming been have that influenced either of your lives and i guess quiz i know some things have been different than they would have been what, what's that been like i mean it's, it's been good for me <laughs> it's yeah. been good for me but understanding also that um i completed my classes i completed all my programs all the things that were stipulated to me that I had to complete was completed before COVID really hit. You know what I mean? So like, mm-hmm. yeah, like really the only difference is like not having to go in and see him. I never, he never UA me. Like it was um, UA uh, urine analysis. He's never UA me. I UA for my halfway house, which is subsidy housing. What was that spot called? The States. No, I wasn't at the States. I was on across the street from it. Um, Shoreline. I was at the Shoreline. I was at the shoreline. I UA for them. I UA for Volunteers of America. So for me personally, my parole has been cool. It was the other agencies that was making me jump through hoops. But I completed all that before COVID hit. What COVID did for me was gave me the chance to get my living situation right. You know, not too much worry about the pop-ups. Because a thing for me is like when you got a sister, a brother, a girlfriend, or a friend that lets you live with them on parole. Like they want you to be on the lease. Parole want to go check their background, check them out. You know, they kind of become on parole also. Mm-mm. And so like, for me, I I always had a battle with my PO, telling my PO like, I don't want my, it was my sister who I live with. Like, I don't want her questioned. I don't want her 
you know, you checking out her background, even though she doesn't get in trouble for somebody to know, like, why are they looking at me? Why are they checking me out? Why they like, I feel like I'm on parole too. And these is coming from her mouth. Like, damn, bro. Like, I feel like I'm on parole too. Like I'd be yeah. kind of scared myself. Like he just going to pop up. Mm-hmm. Like my sister can't enjoy her life. Mm-hmm. My sister can't enjoy her life because at any moment, P.O. popping up and he's not just, they may come for me. But what they do when they come in, they looking at everything. Who on the couch? Who who room is this? Who shoes is these? Who is these people? They want to know every right. single person you're around because the people you're around kind of tells them who you are and what you're doing. So with the COVID hitting and them being out of office, what that did for me was it gave comfort to the ones around me. Sure. It gave comfort to the ones, you know, that I was dealing with so they didn't have to worry. And it was also a thing, too, where I tell people, like, hey, they're not going to pop up. Like, you know, I'm going to be here. Like, you know, if they let me live here, they're not going to like, they're not going to pop up. It's such a big thing because when people care for you and you, even if you just spend a night at somebody's house, that's a friend. You got to let your PO know the address. You got to let your PO know their phone number. Like your PO is checking them out too. Mm-hmm. Like now it's like, what's up, bro? I'm going to come with you. I'm going to be over there. You feel me? But you know, my PO ain't tripping. Like I ain't got to get my PO your info and all that shit. He's not right. really tripping. It became a, a call, call once a month. Now, mind you, for me, it's different because I completed everything. I completed everything. So it was email. Just email me. Email me once a month. You working. You do what you're supposed to do. You off the radar. Email me once a month. And that was like for parole. That is because we must understand doing the time is one thing. But coming home with that tell on you with parole, parole is harder because you're on the streets with the free will to choose to do what you want to do. But just know that you got these babysitters, you got these people that's watching you. And at any moment, if they feel you're doing something wrong, you don't necessarily have to do something wrong. If they feel you're doing something wrong, if they feel you're lying to them, there's this thing called a violation. It's not a revoke. They're not going to send you back to prison, but this violation, huh? go take this 10 days in jail just so we could see what you was doing and, and get to investigating and making sure you, j- that's just to make sure you're not doing nothing wrong. Cause I'm not too sure. So right. let me just take this seven days, take this 10 days, you know, for this, uh, you ran a red light or something. You feel me? Like something right. super minute that right. you usually wouldn't get in trouble for. But if you, if you high risk and you've messed up on parole before, like I did mess up on parole before and got revoked. It was different for me. Cause my pill kept telling me, well, I'm dealing with the person that's on this paper. Mm-hmm. I'm dealing with the person that, I'm reading about right here in front of me until you show me that you're not this person. Right. Even though I just finished doing three years in prison. Yeah. But if you think I'm the same person from three years ago with or without parole, like, come on, people grow. That's what we do as beings. So like, and people change. So for me, the COVID part just took away the stresses of, is he going to pop up on me? Letting my sister know, hey, you can smoke in the house because my pill is not coming. Like they're not in office. They're not doing home visits due to COVID. We could smoke comfortably in the house or she could have company over and not worry about is this parole officer coming? Because Mm -hmm. if you have company and you're not on parole, but you got a parole officer coming to your house, Mm -hmm. what is that going to leave your partner or your friends? Or, you know, people don't feel comfortable in a house with a parolee. Cause I can't just be, I can't be my, I gotta be conscious of just being myself because he might pop up. Yeah. So with COVID, it just, it took away that uncomfortability of being at home. Yeah. That's probably the biggest thing, the uncomfortability of being at home. You said a bunch of really interesting things. And I, right when you finished, I was thinking about Ben, one of the last conversations I had with him, he mentioned that he just found out his roommates were like dealing and it's interesting because they were obviously they who I don't know how he ended up there, but I think was kind of like ex-con situation. Yep. And so you can also it's like you get your hustle on and you know that there might be a pop up. So you just have your situation, but you're still kind of like 
you know, Ben, he was like, I'm trying to get out of here. And so like, that's like, that's like, I'm in the situation where like, you know, maybe whatever we can't rewrite the situation, but you know, he was trying to get away from this stuff, but you kind of get corralled. And I said it a few times, but the system kind of like forces you into certain parameters. And as you were talking, Queez, I was just thinking about like what has come up really in this contemporary discourse around prison abolition is that police are essentially the evolution of like the slave catching entities right. of, of the Americas. And so there's these techniques of like rooting out the terrorist kind of thing. That is just like how people are kind of getting managed though. And I, I don't know what you have to say about this mom, but it's interesting too. the other arm of what blue said is like, it's been great for some guys and like has been great for blue and blue, whether it's over the phone or not, they still, even though he passed, like he wanted to move areas kind of like you did. And he, they were like, you got to take the classes over. You got to pay for them. You got to take them over. And he was like, this is insulting. Like, you know, and it became an emotional drain. He passed, you know, he was theoretically wrongfully incarcerated. So it's just insulting to keep getting asked to like justify your humanity or whatever, because they clearly don't believe it. They're just trying to put you through hoops and catch you stumbling. But I think there are people, especially when it's substances, there is some stumbling and or there is the necessity to like leave behind the communities you are with. Mm -hmm. And as you said, you have these free will and choices and it is almost systems that can support. But again, it's that Booner blessing. Like it's really hard to know what is doing what. And also, I mean, I don't know if Mon, you have anything to say that about that generally or directly with you, but we are also, we commented about maybe being like a man short and talking a little bit about that is like, there is some sort somewhere in the system an attempt to like keep people from being self-destructive but it is done in a way that almost ratchets up self-destructive behavior so anyway i don't know just was putting some of those things on the burner yeah again a lot to unpack there but first off parole and probation it varies state from state county to county what your crimes did advocates what kind of conditions you have when you get out for me, I also was by the book. Like I did all the classes. My parole and probation never UA'd me also, but I did it through classes and I was clean. And my last UA came up as the loot, which I was 100% clean for. I drank too much water that day. And then the, the facility was like, well, you're going to have to start everything over again. Mm -hmm. And I was like, uh-uh, no. And, and that's when I, at least I had at least savvy where I, I, filed a grievance on the facility. I went to my parole officer and everything. And just because of that, they were able, he was like, okay, I'm not going to make you redo all the classes after four months. You just did this every single week for four months. But also when I got sentenced too, I had a deal where I got small bit, he called it an inside out deal. I got a small end deal on the front, 20 months of the front with a long suspended sentence at the back end. When I came out, so I came out on probation with three times as much time hanging over my head. So when I was inside, <laughs> I wasn't even worried about like the time right then. I was worried about the time when I was coming out. Right. Because I knew what, like some of this pearls, like you can't be around known drug users, like very, very ambiguous words. Like you can't be around people that smoke weed, drink or this. I was 27. <laughs> I came in there because of addiction and because of other choices I made. I didn't know anyone else that didn't live like that. Mm -hmm. I could tell me to come out and then to just magically not know anyone. 
and then find those networks. And then, so there's, I mean, and I know with, uh, with uh, like the, I mean, with some counties, depending on your crimes, it can make you subject to lie detector tests. And with those lie detector tests, then they can violate you on that. And I know in some states, you can't even be around known felons. Now, I don't know if this is how it works in California. I don't know if this is how certain parole probation works in Oregon, not on mine. But some conditions is if you are in a car Mm -hmm. with someone else that's also just a felon and you're illegally driving and maybe did a red turn or something, you're now in violation because you're with someone else that's a felon. So, I mean, a lot of room to fuck up, a lot of room for air for sure. Which is like a, a specifically interesting caveat because also for me and is like interesting in like a super funny, interesting way where like, I don't, I think we were gently implied that what I'm doing now with you is like not okay or whatever. And you know what I mean? Cause like once you're at, like we met inside and once you're out, like I'm helping you to do crime or whatever, I'm in danger, who knows? Some concern exists. And so therefore, but you know, and specifically with this project, we did, you have something? Well, I just wanted to tie something for you, Michael, and I think yeah. that I find it interesting. So in the book, The Jim Crow Law, right? Hit it. There was this thing called convict leasing. And that's when they had the free Negro, as they called it. And they never equipped these guys with tools to get through life. It was just like, okay, you went from slavery right. to just being free, like, just go, go. Mm-hmm. And what they called the dudes that they was arresting they said they roamed the country yard aimlessly mm-hmm. in crime. So littering, you know, any small crime that they did, they charged them with a fine of $25. And if you know, back then $25 was pretty much 25 yeah. million for us yeah. or a lifetime of hard labor. Right. Yep. So what I bring that up to say, like when they let them dudes out or when they would convict leasing was a slave master could rent inmates to work on the plantation and if they died all they they it was the book specifically said it was never a worry when the slaves died because the police would literally drive through the countryside and get roman free negroes and arrest them and arrest them for the fact of just getting back getting another body to the slave master right that's parole so with parole, it's a systematic slavery. It's not like them saying, let's go get black people and put them back in jail. Sure. But it's that tale though. It's like our mindset. I could not even know our minds on parole and we could meet up like, hey buddy, let's go get a burger. Right. We're both going to jail, right? It's systematic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like it's hilarious like, and not hilarious it's, at it's, all. it's systematic though. <clears throat> like they let us out of prison. They don't teach us anything in there. Mm-hmm. They don't teach us really... Everything that you learn in prison, you're going to go seek out and you're going to have to figure it out yourself. Even the classes that they do provide, they don't wake nobody up to say, go to this class. They don't wake no, they don't like, you know, you might be in the shower and it might be class time. They're not going to alert you like, hey, you got to be in this class at this time. Like, hey, this time is coming. They don't want you in the class because they don't even want the class in there in the first place. Mm -hmm. Just because they allow the classes in there. They do not want you guys in there. They did not want volunteers in there because you humanize us. Mm-hmm. And the system itself is dehumanizing to the ones that's captured, that has been kidnapped and put in there. So they let us out and then they just say, all right, you're free, but you know, you're on parole. So, hey, hopefully your ass don't do that. You right. know? And the tie is they let us out without the proper tools to, to, to achieve. Mm-hmm. 
you know, and then it's like one little slip up or or let me just say Jamal over there slips up and do something and we have the same parole officer. Now that parole officer in his head thinks everybody that look like yeah. Jamal is doing what Jamal does. Yeah. So this has been going on since slavery and since the Jim Crow law, like it's always been like the odds at the guesses. I don't understand how the court sentenced me to five years but then three years parole. Like right. there shouldn't be no parole. Like if it's five years, then it should be two years inside, three years parole yeah. or vice versa. You know, it shouldn't be five years. That's eight years if you think about it. Cause now you have the ability to lock me up whenever you, like I said earlier, yeah. you don't necessarily have to be doing something, but if it looked like you are, or if you might be, then they come in to kidnap you again. They're coming to take you away again. One quick point, I'll pass it right back to you, Mike. And it's it's true. It's like, even when you're, like, I had classes that my insurance didn't pay for when it was like an anger management class. And thank God I had 35 bucks in my pocket every single week to pay for that class mm -hmm. on my own. But I even asked, I said, hey, I mean, money's tight. Like, what if I couldn't pay for this? Like, what is the option? If I wanted to go to this class and do what you guys wanted me to do, but I did not have the money, what is the option? He said, well, you can come in for county work crew every weekend and work. You know, you can go work for your five to ten dollars an hour mm -hmm. on the wood yard out in the county that I'm out and you can pay it off that way. Hmm. Good luck. Fast. I, you yeah. know, so that's how it is. So back. I to mean, you. it's so fascinating. All the stuff we're bringing up in the show. And that's kind of the way for y'all who have listened in till now. Like when we started this, it was like, where do we start? Like, there's just too much and that was one of the reasons or even as i discovered myself for bringing in that brother oh brother we're out thou because they literally start on a chain gang you know what i mean like the concept and premise is a weird mirror but i i guess it's like not a surprise that all of these things have existed and continue to exist and there's like even creative content built around them so and i please appreciate you even linking into jim crow because that is totally what's happening and for those of you who are even not tracking that part of the conversation, you can read the new Jim Crow, which is mm -hmm. will we'll kind of put the layers on what's going on now. And yeah, I mean, all of that. Well, the thing I was going to say is like this project has been gently sanctioned, which I mean, no one can stop us or whatever. But, you know, it was said as long as it's like for the positive development of whoever the guy is, then it probably is fine. And I was trying to be careful around it, but at this point also, and re even our last episode or the grander premise or we were talking, Queez was talking about at the beginning is it takes actually a level of investment beyond. And someone, re I did an art pre a presentation as an artist and they're like, how do you fund your work? And I said, the first step is it's not sustainable. I do not get paid for my time. Like I'm invested beyond what capitalism can sustain. Um, and it is only through that, that it might even happen. But, you know, want to bring up, like Queez is saying, is like, though in this struggle of this civil war, this frontline skirmish, there are both people dying and someone is making some money. And so as Armand said, and I actually brought up Armand, you'd mentioned the last time we recorded that they're closing prisons. I talked to Blue about that. And he goes, they're small ones. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? And, and like you said, the way that the law is like, we can't do what Jersey did. And so we're kind of tying all the pieces together and appropriately timed that uh, Armand brought us to our awareness, a KBU snippet, which thanks KBU. 
hopefully this is your airwaves you're hearing us on right now, but about essentially someone who's on a partner of a person who's incarcerated that their uh, partner was grappling with COVID. But a lot of that and is mirrors again our prior episode with Queez and the work essentially a workplace situation but under more or less slave-like conditions that are because of contagion literally leading to this to the loss of life two uh two rivers correctional institute in umatilla oregon reported five covid deaths although in the uh the man that's locked up speculates that there might have been more he said up to nine deaths related to covid within there and part of the unit how these guys were contracting it is, you know, two rivers. And again, I, I didn't do time there, so I don't know exactly how it works, but I know enough to know that they have a deal with the uh, state hospitals and, and some of the state institutions where they do all the laundry. Mm-hmm. So all, a lot of that COVID laundry, that, that dirty surgical sheets and whatnot, that was being shipped to these guys. Mm-hmm. They were being paid 30 bucks, 40 bucks or 50 bucks or whatever a month to work five days a week to wash this up. And um, man, so. And then, so part of it is also, and I thought where you were going, but is when you said unit is similar to the layout of CRCI where they're like 88 person units. And I don't know if we've done that on the show, but it's relevant to do now. Will one of you describe what what is a unit? I've only seen it for like 10 seconds because my tour was short for whatever reason. But yeah, the experiential account has uh, has value. Well, where you, where, how, that is, and how you do your time and your unit is all dependent on the facility. Like certain counties, I've, I've done time in every sort of way you can. Like I've done unit in a cell by myself. I've done unit in a cell where I have a celly, someone in there with me. I've done time in dorm settings, whether that be a six-man dorm, 14-man dorm. CRCI was, I believe, 60-man dorms. And I know in California, man, they got they got entire gymnasium, hundred plus people dorms. Thanks. And I know in a lot of places. So again, please elaborate a little bit about the units. Yeah, like closed quarters. <laughs> it's most definitely close quarters. The bunks are approximately five inches away from each other. Like you that and that's the space that you have, that little space in between the two bunks is where your property go, where your where your belongings go. And that's in a dorm setting. In a cell setting, I mean, we all know what a cell look like, nine by 12 sometimes. But in California, like, the gymnasium is even tighter quarters. It's like 50-some bunks, 60-some bunks with up and down. Triple bunks. Yeah, oh, up and Bunk beds. <laughs> bunk beds. And, and, and then understanding um, what makes it worse is understanding the segregation of prison and right. already being in tight quarters, you have to now – be careful not to step in the wrong area outside of the bunks because now you you disrespectful or you know that that's how race riots and all these different things occur literally just by you misstepping in a certain part of this super tight gym that they have turned into a unit and what i do know about covid in prison right now like we mentioned in the last episode is anybody that's covid symptoms or have tested positive for covid is getting sent to one to two dorms and you just there like you're there there is not a medical situation where every person is 
um, let me go check on this person 14 days or your symptoms is over. Once you're there, you're there until they remember to get you out of there pretty much. Till they feel, you know, in quarantine, what I was reading too, with the Two Rivers cases, even the quarantining wasn't long enough. They send you to a unit where, you know, you supposed to be quarantined from the rest of the prison. But instead of a 14 or 21 day quarantine, you might get a 10 of 15 mm-hmm. days and then you ride back to the unit. So it defeats the purpose of taking you off the unit in the first place because the virus is living well in your body and you're right. still, you know, and then you're going back to unit, what they call GP, which is general population with the rest of the prison, you know, and then that's why it, what Two Rivers right now is at 600, yeah. 600 positive cases, you know what I mean? And then Columbia River that holds 430 people is 250 people tested positive already right and this is 250 people mind you armand just said that the dorm at columbia river is a 60-man dorm they have two dorms i'm not the smartest but i think that's 120 beds Mm -hmm. and 250 people tested positive right yeah i mean it's some interesting stuff there too because something that they i think joe when he first got out was talking about we are quarantined we're in a safe 100 person bubble it's the guards, the 10, 15, 20 guards who are coming out every day mm-hmm. and then they're not wearing masks and mm-hmm. people can't get access to masks. And how this conversation started is they were still doing laundry. So you don't got the improper quarantine. People are coming in and out of your 50 person bubble. And what's interesting because when we started to really boot up the outside version of the show, we were talking to Wilford and y'all were out, but it was COVID times. And it was funny. It was hilarious. Wilford was like getting all up next to me. I'm like, dog, no. But also like he was like, let's do an episode. Like, what if you were inside? And so now we're really starting to get those stories. Like it was prior to even, you know, it was a media blackout for prisons. And now they've kind of like cracked their doors open a little bit. But it is all real wild. And we're just doing what we can to like get you all the deets soon. We'll do an episode with a guy who's experienced it firsthand inside. And we'll be able to get some more details there. But just want to really highlight, again, this larger paradigm of the state controlling stuff or whatever imperial force you want to name, individual corporate entities. People are making, you know, this little snippet off KBU mentioned that last year prisons posted like two million in profits. You know what I mean? Like it's properly remains modern day slavery in a literal sense. And prior to booting up the show, Armand was like, man, you got to watch the show locked up abroad. And the conditions are not even that different. I mean, it's like a little bit more wild in some ways. But funnily, I think most of those shows, they weren't even laboring. It was kind of like just sitting around and like managing, like pumping water and stuff and like trying to stay alive in the conditions. It's all, it's like just as bad, you know, it's like the bed is dry, get to work, you know, it's like you have a cold or COVID like gargle with salt water. So it's again, we're slowly trying to even just create a setting for our listeners to understand what even the context we're talking about. And soon we'll be having more guests and kind of like expand the gaze of what's going on. But we have a little bit of time before we need to scuttle on. Does anyone want to talk about? our man down or I don't even know what the proper language is. Yeah. But before we dive into that, listen to our listeners, understand that those guys on the inside are not just monsters. They're not just inmates. They're not just adults in custody. These are fathers. These are sons. These are brothers and sisters. These are humans. So 
I mean, for me, you know, the dome building, whatever institution, yo, you know, the ones that they may be in, like, we have to understand that these are humans in animal conditions. These are humans living in animal situations, animalistic situations. You know, I had a volunteer tell me before that he grew up understanding that if they're in prison, you might as well kill them all. They're monsters. You might as well kill them all. They're, you know, they're, they've done whatever the internet said they have done. I just want to take this time to say, like, these are real life humans. These are real life fathers and mothers. These are brothers and sisters. These are grandkids to people and they're living like animals. So support, don't just ignore and don't just, I don't know them. So it doesn't mean anything like, oh, they did this crime. Let them ride in there. Let's please unlearn that mindset because these are real life humans that you're talking about. And I'm talking about one slip up, one slip up, accidentally hit somebody with your car, accidentally get drunk and get into a car crash and kill your friend. You will be in there too accidents happen and i'm not saying everybody's innocent but accidents happen these are humans in there living in animalistic conditions please please understand that and yeah one you. small point too out of the i believe millions of people in this country that are locked up 95 percent of them are not sentenced to a natural life sentence they are not only fathers potentially brothers sisters cousins they're about to be your neighbor too Facts. they're coming back out here in these streets they're going to be your community neighbor how do you want that person to act like you yeah. know yeah i mean i think both salient points and really does well to kind of like keep us on track to say that right now you know there are entities that are in charge of rehabilitation or whatever and it's like not working or whatever and that's why i've dived in and stayed and that was ben's dream is like you know it is this disenfranchised marginalized group that is in the, the only position to help itself and otherwise are people in your community that need help. And so if the show can do anything, one of the original ethos is of trying to get the, the message out there is what we are sharing. And again, bringing it all back home, you know, we got a guy that's yes, home, but not home. Yeah. Um. So let's understand that an addiction is a poison and, you know, nobody asks to be addicted to anything. And once they get there, we would never understand why they stay there. Um, addiction, bro. Like our brother, we lost our brother to addiction. You know, Joe Rosenberger, that is. It's my partner, man. That's our brother. You know, he his addiction is hallucinogens. It's not heroin. It's not meth. It's not, you know, the things that we just say, oh, addiction, it must be one of these. He were He was taking... And I think it started out with mushrooms and it was what do you call it? Recreational doses. He was mm. a little bit with his coffee in the morning just to, you know, be focused and get the day started. Mm. <laughs> and that led to, you know, when you in this world that's colorful and, you know, you're in a world where everything you you see things different. You see things how you want them to be And that place. It's called a, a psychedelic and you know, you get hooked in that world. You can't visit this world that's so peaceful, so colorful, so amazing. And then in a matter of however many hours, you're back into reality. For people who have been trapped in a world called prison, it's a whole world within itself. So when you caught into that world and you're stuck there, and then you could come home and be introduced to this beautiful world where everything is rainbows and you know, you 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 want to be there. 
So you're going to do whatever it takes to continue to be there because you're not on drugs. It's a hallucinogen. It just helps me focus a little bit more and it helps me see things different. So it's not a drug. I just do it with my coffee every day until you're doing it two or three times a day so that you don't have to ever be back in this world and you could get lost in that world. And that's what happened to our brother. He didn't get on a drug that had him in a dark place. He was on something that he felt opened his horizon and opened his mind to a brighter world, a world that everyone isn't able to live in. And it just so happened that he got stuck in that world. Yeah, and let me just build on that to kind of break it down for the audience. So Joe, one of our co-hosts, one of our brothers locked up, uh, he's kind of MIA in the sense that no one that he knows in, in our circles or any circle can get a hold of him. And keep in mind, Joe went in at 18 years old for a crime he did his first time. You know, I'm just going to say it was a, a robbery for weed, which is now legal. And ironically, psilocybin mushrooms for medical purposes is now legal. Those facilities will be around in Oregon in a couple of years. Mm -hmm. Um so I know in his mind, he was, he was medicating himself to some degree mm -hmm. and, you know, not in a medical setting, not in left to our own devices. That goes its own way. But regardless right. of how and why he's not accessible to any of us right now. And it's, it, there's a sadness there and, you know, it's not what we're doing now is not a call out. It is a kind of an educational moment for again, a wider world. It is interesting because, you know, I've consumed some psilocybin mushroom and I also can celebrate certain awarenesses that have come from disrupting a pattern of thought, etc. But as we have unfurled quite extensively in the past two episodes and beyond, there, there is this paradigm in which whether it's childhood trauma and anything that may ensue in carceral trauma, that there is regardless of method and need for some form of re rehabilitation to take place from the rehabilitation, you know, I find myself in a position of continuing to use the resources and boundaries that I have to like reach towards and catch. But at this time is on a, in a different realm, that which is literally not, I'm not able to reach him, not because of substance or whatever, but due to the social stigma and shame and embarrassment and all of these things, Joe remains inaccessible just for a chat or whatever, or even to find no one knows geographically where he is. So we kind of just wanted to put that out there. The hope is that Joe will return to this platform with us, but even soon uh, we will be without Armand as Armand goes through his own process and journey and we'll be excited to immediately touch base with him and are here for him and even some of these recordings that we've been doing at least for me in a way are that no matter what happens behind that closed door and all of the guys have had some sort of door closed and have disappeared for a time until they've returned that these anchors or kind of like uh, what is the right the north pole of of the reason why he's there um, can get instilled and be archived so that at any time, if Armand enters another realm of planet, uh, we can at least play back his own intentions or uh, some of the sloppier memories. But oh, which you which you guys will hear. So you know, I'm gonna do a little. Pre <laughs> I've heard maybe already. <laughs> yeah, you know, I listened through some of our old episodes and they're disgusting. And from my point of view, uh, just me, just lost in the sauce. 
So I'll definitely be giving a little prelude to that once we're back. And yeah, starting Sunday, I'll be on a digital detox for um, 50 something days or something. And during that time, I'll again, because of COVID, I'll be able to have my phone some Saturday. So maybe we'll record, maybe we won't. Sure. But I'm definitely leaving that open to Michael Quiz to maybe, you know, I, I believe they're going to record some episodes while I'm doing, you know, my healing. Right. So, uh, yeah, that's the update I have. That's the most important thing, baby. We need that's you to what it is. Well, what a time. We'll see you all next cycle. We got any sign-off energy, y'all? Hey, man, you already know. 10 can phone. Giving the voices from the inside out. We are them guys. You can depend on us. Misfit Adi. Huh? We out of here. 10 can phone. Pretty boy Pustos. What's happening? You know what? Armand.pust on whatever. But fuck it. Digital detox starts in two days. So no more phones. Michael. By the time you're hearing this, you could hire this guy to uh, something you're something. He's been telling me, but it's been... He, he's getting acclimated so maybe he can give a good business plan but uh yeah thanks everyone for listening and joining joining uh this front line um it needs more people to be paying attention until soon signing off you are listening to the tin can phone podcast where you can hear about the influence incarceration has straight from the source we tell the story from the inside out So make sure to check us out on KBOO Community Radio every first Tuesday at 10 a.m. You can also check us out on Spotify, Apple, and anywhere you catch your podcasts. And make sure to give us a follow over at TinCanPhonePodcast.com. See you next time.